Johnny, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really do enjoy this. Yeah, me too, buddy. All right. So today I thought we'd talk about a rather curious phenomenon that happens in pop culture. When a famous musician dies and there's a huge outpouring of shock and sadness, coupled with a type of fawning admiration that seems disconnected from how most people thought about or tended to think about this famous person while they were alive. Some notable examples of this are George Michael, Prince, Glenn Campbell, Lemmy, Tom Petty, uh, Vinnie Paul, David Bowie, etc. Now these were well-loved entertainers, but it seems to me that the back half of their careers saw them operating in a nostalgia act capacity with very few people paying attention to their modern-day output. But once these performers died, it seems that everyone was ready to erect a monument to celebrate their life and music. So what I'm proposing is that we select several musicians that are still alive, still with us, and heap appropriate praise upon them. And it can be an exercise in gratitude and appreciation. That sounds fun, right? Yeah, I, I really think celebrating folks while they're still around is the way to go. And I think the best way that you could really do that is, you know, throw them some money, buy their new stuff. Be aware of it, at least. People are still making music. It was a shame to look back on the, the incredible career of David Bowie that I was completely unaware of. Yeah, I found out most of what I know about David Bowie when he died. Right, and that, that's what we're talking about. That's how this topic probably came up, is uh, over and over and over again, people pass, and then we finally take time out to say, oh my, let's, we really need to discuss them and look at their entire catalog. You can, that's why people who have hits, I, I mean, how do you get that many people this day and age to actually stop for three minutes and listen to your ditty. You know, that's a, that's a miracle. Seems harder now than ever. It does. And it seems like it's getting whittled down to just the same thing over and over and over again. I just keep waiting for somebody to break out with a new thing. Well, we can all record now. We can all do things like this, make podcasts, make an album. And now we're competing with a lot of people who are doing the same thing. We're sort of adrift in a sea of mediocrity. That's true. And I... Wow, that's depressing. We were going to celebrate people who were still alive, not the death of culture in general. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to suggest that maybe some of these classic rockers, because they were participating in a different pop music model than we do today, had to have different skill sets and were, in large part, better performers than the modern ilk. That is the understatement of the century. They couldn't fake it with anything. They didn't have the technology to really get in there and just tweak a vocal. Or They had to nail shit. And it probably took take after take after take after take. They had and to they get the checks. They would the takes up and take a second from that take. And, and uh, talk, to the, talk to the kids about what it means to cut and tape and edit when it when you're talking physical reel to reel tape when you're using physical reel to reel tape the edits are so much harder to do that it's better to just get good takes 
So the performers from the 60s and the 70s had to get good continuity takes, often of the whole song. Something that, by and large, modern musicians no longer have to do, because they can just cobble together a song from a trillion takes, and it's no problem at all given digital technology. So to me, it's pretty straightforward. The musicians from back in the day were just better than they are today. Would you be interested at all in finding a top-shelf producer and trying to make a, a Led Zeppelin-ish reel-to-reel album that just is a nut-kicker? It might be roll? fun to do it to see if I could handle the discipline, but this day and age, it's just so much easier to record digitally. Right. You mentioned Rick Rubin, right? Yeah, excellent producer. Uh, excellent sandwich, too. Yeah, what's the most recent thing in your purview that he can think of? He, was... he did Death Magnetic, which was almost 10 years ago now, but Metallica's two albums ago. Oh. He was the executive right. producer, basically. I don't know if he was there for a lot of it. That was a good punch in the face. Yeah, it was Welcome Back Metallica, yeah, because St. Anger was so bad. <laughs> I like uh, the the movie is good. I like some kind of monster. I've never seen it. It's good. I got so upset. You know how that goes, man. Like that was my that was where that was my band. Yeah, I definitely tuned out for many years, like a decade or more. Well, after the black album blew up, I stopped completely. I don't know what happened from there on. I do remember You didn't like the black album when no, it came I, out? And when it came out, I was like, Okay, you know, I I get it. They they're going to cash it in, and they should. But I thought it was still terrific heavy metal, even though it was poppier. Uh, probably, but I have a hard time. When you just stack it up with the first four, it's not the same. And that's the influence of, you know, I mean, you still have Dave Mustaine and Cliff Burton flowing through a lot of that early stuff, and they weren't really involved. Yeah, that reminds me of another phenomenon that happens with rock stars that die really young, like Cliff Burton, who was only 24 when he died, uh. Metallica's first bass player. And he's been lionized to a degree that he is unimpeachable as far as his genius goes. Try to talk any criticism on Cliff Burton around the wrong metalhead, and you have you better ever watch heard, out. Have you ever heard anyone say a bad thing about Cliff Burton? Not really, no. But what I'm getting at is he was only 24, and he he was far from perfect. There was things that he could have done better. I could see that he would have improved nicely. Uh, I get, I probably give him too much credit because I worship him. And here's the funny thing is we were in San Francisco a couple years ago, and I walked into the guitar shop or whatever on... Uh, 8th Street, and I was like, I, I want to go to the Cliff Burton Memorial. I just assumed there was one. And there the guy was like, was like, I don't even know where he's buried, dude. And that There's was a, a memorial to him in Sweden where he died. There's a some sort of monument there. Pick one metal person who was more like Thor. It would be interesting if they went straight through it all with Cliff and Dave Mustaine all the way through. That'd be totally I feel different. cheated a bit. That's the Metallica that I would have loved to have grown old with. <laughs> I don't think... I, I don't worship Kurt Cobain, but 
I, I think his solos are so much tech, just technically better than. You mean Kirk Hammett? What did I say, Kirk Cobain? Yeah, his solos are kind of okay. Yeah, they're they're a little bit uh, they're, they're a little not, noisy. Yeah, but but he was special in a different way. But Kirk Hammett, they're not their name. It's Kirk, right? Yeah, Kirk Hammett. Kirk Hammett is very good. And by the time he was laying down tracks on. Justice, like shortest straw. Those those solos are crazy. Yeah, they are. Kirk Hammett played some incredible solos, and he certainly sounded better than Dave Mustaine. But I think that Kirk Hammett has dried up a bit as far as his ideas about lead guitar. I, I get pretty bored listening to his modern day solos. I needed to probably listen to it, and I will say to most youngsters starting out with soloing, kill them all's where you start. That's baby. where I started. Yeah, that's ground zero for learn how to get your pentatonic scales going and, and rift through stuff. I did. I really loved his early playing, but I'm a, I'm a bit bored by it today. Uh, well, I mean, about all those hair guitar players, who's your favorite? Well, I have an unusual favorite from that era, and that is Mick Mars from Motley Crue. And that it's, is unusual. And it's because he wasn't that flashy, but he played cool, memorable guitar solos, I thought. Well, that's great. Really? Yeah, I love Mick Mars. So it's more of a feel thing, sound thing? It's a feel, sound, and melody okay. idea. He, he wrote solos that were little songs, which is sort of where I got it from. So before I got into Kill Em All, I got into Too Fast for Love, and I learned that whole album when I was uh, 14. And then 15, 16, I, I started listening to Metallica. But before I got there, I was learning Mick Mars solos. And was he playing through chords the way that you have taught yourself? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, to some extent he was. He was He was never, you know, like Herc Hammond is sometimes theoretically wrong. <laughs> Vic Mars never was, really. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, okay. All right. Like sometimes Kirk Hammond was just like squishing that wah-wah pedal and bending his strings. Right. And, you know, the rest of the band was just smiling along. Do you think Mick Mars was one of the... Like I, if I can, like before I knew any theory at all, I would sing a solo, stat yeah. it, and learn it on guitar. You think that that he was, that affects the way your solos come out. They're certainly lyrical, even his early solos are lyrical sounding. Technically, he wasn't as good of a player as some of the, the outstanding '80s metal players. Right. So that would get in his way sometimes, but otherwise, his solos are really memorable. That's interesting. Perhaps because he, he can't play so fast. Yeah, especially things like on the album Too Fast for Love, there's a song called Piece of Your Action. It's got a really wicked slide solo on it that is huh. totally bitching. And he's still alive, right? Yeah, he's still alive. He's got a really strange disease, an inflammation disease that makes his life a living hell. He has to be in his 60s, right? Yeah, he's the oldest member of Molly Crew. Well, who do you like from that? Do you like the metal guitar playing? I mean, do you like your Eddie Van Halen guy? What's the? Uh, I like. I love Eddie Van Halen. Um, I really got into the. And he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, he is, and I'm sure he's still. Those boys probably still kick the shit out of everything that they've written up to this point, live. Um, and I really like the super flashy technicals. Genius. Like the Ingway Malmsteens. No, I didn't like Steve that. Vai. Yeah, he's kind of a Steve Vai. I was hard to so handle. so loved Steve Vai. I mean, he made that album with White Snake. Go listen to that. 
that whole thing from I didn't know he did that. Oh, good. Really? There's a lot of things I don't know. Dude, I think, well, I don't know what it was called. It may have just been called White Snake or, I don't know. But it's Steve Vai, and it's incredible. All of the stuff he did with David Lee Roth. And that's when I found Billy Sheehan. That's right. Those two Ooh. were, and they were in the same group together, Steve I and Billy Sheehan backing up David Lee Roth. Right. And that was an, a monstrous band. That was insane yak. And they would always have a, a guy that nobody knew his name, and he'd be hidden in the background playing keyboards, and he was the best singer on the stage. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? I didn't notice that, but I can imagine it being true. Look through all those 80s bands. They have like, no name, old man Jenkins on keyboards and high vocals. He's not technically in the band yeah. unless we're playing live or, you know, hanging out. I liked Nuno Betancourt. Remember Nuno? Oh, yeah, of course. That guy can shred. Go listen to uh, Extreme Song, Rest in Peace. Okay, homework that's, assignment. Yeah, that's a little blow your mind. It's so good. When Megadeth dropped Holy Wars with Marty freaking Friedman. That's one of the best guitar albums in human history. Hands down. And I go get into Hangar 18, what, two minutes in. It's almost, it's like death metal bebop for a second. It's so crazy. And then there's, uh, that's, that's a good that's, way to categorize Megadeth is death metal bebop. Marty Freeman says, <laughs> that's where he was like one of the first guys who was. Like, but probably not one of the first guys, but his solos, the really great ones start slow, and he had such a strong bend. He could bend a quarter bend, he could bend a full bend. And, and he could stay in tune. And just keep it and hold it. You know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Marty Friedman is one of the best. And he would build up his solos. And <laughs> like the solo to Tornado of Souls, so perfect. He had that Mick Mars thing. He was writing a little song that... Right. Had memorable parts, right. maybe even a little hook built in. It was you like come back to a riff or something. You're listening to metal, and then all of a sudden, it's like you're in a field with a bunny. And he's like, hop with me, children. And then it gets more fun and more fun. That's and right. You eat the wrong clover, and then it's arpeggiated madness. And you're like, whoa. Then it, Louis Armstrong shows up, and you're really confused. Right. And that, op- that, had to, that was an eye-opening album for a lot of people. The guitar players, that, that's way up there. Yeah, it, it, the thing is, Dave Mustaine always had something to prove, and that, that's good and bad. It's good because he would produce albums like that, like Rust in Peace. He's definitely has one of the higher IQs in rock and roll history. That guy's scary. I mean, could you imagine being that smart, that young, that like coked out of your mind? You'd kick him out of the band, too. You know, I just was reading a Metallica biography. Those dudes were super young around Kill 'Em All. Do you know that Ulrich and Hetfield were 19 when wow. Kill 'Em All came out? Is that 83? 83. So I'm pretty sure that Mustaine was their same age. And then Burton was a year older. Cliff Burton was 175,000 years old. God. And, so and his bass playing wisdom. Yeah. Just in his life wisdom. But, uh, well, he did master the Canadian tuxedo. Yeah, he did. And that takes usually at least a century. 
he would have changed and done something and I would have been like, he sold out and I hate his fucking Yeah, guts. that's what I think that's the point of his lionization is almost like he escaped unscathed. He was ne- he wasn't around long enough to fuck up. Right. That's true. And everybody's, you know, initial effort is usually their their best because it's what they've been working on for years and years and years and years, you know. And yeah, and you hear. hit that peak of creativity in your mid twenties. Right. Maybe it was his peak. Who knows, dude? What he could have done. I'm not sure. I mean, he could have kept up with the technique thing and become an even better bass player. He could have been like Yako Pastorius style eventually. He had the skills and the monster hands to do it. Man. Yeah, he just needed the the decades and years, but probably. He was a metalhead and and um a hippie and you know, he maybe he that, that I don't think he was going there, man. I think that he had what he was going to have for the rest of his life. I think you're right. He just wanted to play his songs and, and smoke a dump truck full of weed every day. Here's a thing that I believe is heresy amongst many, and that is Robert Trujillo, the current bass player of Metallica, is better than Cliff Burton. Oh, technically better? Yes. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. I don't think that's controversial. Do you like suicidal tendencies? I did. I saw them in the early to mid-90s at Star Lake. That must have been wild. Who were they with? They were opening for a Fight, and those two bands were opening for Metallica. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So their relationship goes back that far. Yeah, they at least knew each other. He's a California boy, so they probably knew knew one another. Yeah. Well, there's no denying he's a bad dude, especially he's a pure bass player. Uh, does he? I'm sure he takes a bass solo every night on stage. I bet it's out of hand. Yeah, I mean, they let Newstead take a bass solo, and I was always <laughs> upset by that. Uh, yeah, that poor guy. Yeah, I always sure. had a special place in my, in my heart for him. Because how are you supposed to go and fill those bell bottoms, baby? You know? There's no filling those bell bottoms. Yeah, right. And it's, it's like they were extra mean to him, because once they hired him, they're like, all right, we're going to do uh, some covers. We'll do an album of covers, and we're going to feature you... <laughs> hardcore on it and it's going to be amazing then we're going to turn your shit down and you go fuck yourself you know what i mean well garage days sounded amazing the bass was super present then injustice for all was just mixed bewilderingly they didn't he, you can't hear there's no bass at all not at all no it's 100 percent turned off and do you do you think that he could have at all stood up for himself in the studio with those guys at that point in time nope i think i'm going to look differently and how I celebrate those who have passed young. 24, 26, 20, there's the 27 club. Yeah, all Jimi Hendrix. Right. Etc. That's the perfect, I call it the perfect game club. 27 up, 27 down. Thank you, kids. That's a baseball joke. Google it. Um, they definitely get the benefit of the doubt on everything because it's all speculative and you give it to fans to speculate and they're automatically going to go he would have done amazing things and you don't know they're, they never had the chance to grow old and become obsolete embarrassing and use, useless right so no one the general public didn't have the opportunity to ignore the shit out of them 
which is were... what happens to these nostalgia acts. Right. That's right. I mean, just a core group of fans follow them till they die. And then, uh, you know, that always, that I guess would bleed on to a replacement band <laughs> with the crowd. People are so not, I don't like change. People are crazy. Yeah, dude. not going to the bathroom when Tom Petty tries to play his new song. That's my last experience with this phenomenon. I it's, saw Tom Petty in 2010 and he was playing some newer material and that was everyone's bathroom break. That's horrific. That goes, that flies in the face of Her Majesty's classic theater etiquette. That's the thing now is I'm also, you know, I tread so cautiously on because you, you heap it on them. And then, you know, you find out that they've been touching kids their whole lives or they've been, they say, don't meet your heroes. And that's, I, that's why maybe it's better if you just pretend that they were only amazing. And just relive that day over and over again. It is hard to watch them fall so hard, the ones that have sinned or have failed in some spectacular fashion. Yeah. It's difficult to watch that downfall. Right. And you would think that by now we would all, as a you know, sharing, caring community, rush to that person's aid emotionally. I'm just kidding. Obviously, we're going to shit on them until, they, until they're in the ground. That's everyone's favorite sport. I like where this is going. Go out and somebody who has really changed your life with their art and go find their new shit and buy it. Yeah, you just might like it. Yeah, and actually listen to it. How many times can you listen to the same bad song or watch the same movie? Well, apparently over and over and over again forever. Yeah, that seems to be how people operate. Who's alive that's really had a, a big impact on you? Yeah, that's the point. And I've mentioned a few. I mean, obviously Mick Mars, but beyond that. Oh, I think that beyond Mick Mars, who is clearly at the top. They uh, say it would take someone 30 years to even get to Mick Mars. We'll have to ask NASA. I'm willing to go. I appreciate the guitar playing of another unsung hero, and that is Jerry Garcia. His playing and his songwriting and his singing is among my favorite in all of rock history. Did you say uh, Gary Garcia? Yeah, Gary Garcia, Jerry's brother. Oh, because oh, I, I mean, you're saying not celebrated and Jerry Bear in the same sentence. It's insanity, don't you think? I think among the counterculture deadheads, He's lionized. But much of pop culture besides the Rolling Stones San Francisco scene basically ignored him. And many guitar players don't appreciate him. They hear his playing, which is sort of jazz-tinged If you have a problem with Jerry Garcia, you have a problem with yourself. Yeah, that's how I see it. Even people that hate the Grateful Dead have to admit, in my opinion, should admit that, okay, that guy's pretty good. Pretty good? He had nine and a half fingers and was better than most people you'll ever encounter. Yeah, I've been doing this figuring out solos thing, and I've right. learned several of his solos. They're, they're really good. And are, they, would you, are they technically difficult? Or yeah, they just... they're technically difficult, and they're melodically wise, and they're thoughtfully constructed. God, kids, dive into Jerry Garcia. What's wrong with you people? 
Yeah, so I have a sort of unusual group of guitar players that I like. I also like George Harrison, even though like his guitar play, he was a, a bit ham-fisted. He's a lot like maybe Mick Mars or maybe even Jerry Garcia, who was occasionally ham-fisted. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for the songs that he wrote with the Beatles. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for everything he did after the Beatles. Yeah, but once again, when he died, there was an outpouring where people finally were like, okay, right. George Harrison, dang. McCartney obviously has been lionized during his lifetime. And then, you know, Ringo's this sort of clownish, shadowy figure. If you ask most drummers to name their top two drummers, Ringo will be number two. Yeah, well, he certainly had a feel for being simple and good. He had this crazy backbeat thing that he could actually pull off live. He was the king of the slow tom-tom rule. And do you think, uh, I think about that in-studio or rehearsal or even live dynamic. <laughs> I'm just being in a band with, I mean, that would be so awesome. You, it, you would imagine John would brutalize everybody and I bet they... Oh, God, they were close boys, but I'm sure that they were probably cruel and unusual to each other. You'd have to be eventually, just to keep up. Yeah, well, he just played the drums. Like, he did a right. great job. I think he's, I think he's amazing. I'd form a band with Ringo. Yeah, man, he was the first Beatle to have a number one hit solo. So take that, you guys. Okay, well, thanks again for coming on, Johnny. Until next time.